The text that Pastor John will be preaching from this morning is found in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 13. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the witness, because the Spirit is the truth. There are three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has borne witness to his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne to his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I wanted very much to be with John Moline when he died. So I went to see him about 5 o'clock on Friday. He couldn't live more than a few hours, I thought. So after the wedding rehearsal, I went back about 7.15. was quiet on the fourth floor of Augustana home. His roommate was evidently sleeping. I sat down beside his bed and took that 90-year-old hand, and his eyes were all glazed and half open. His breathing was, as many of you have experienced, as though it were attached to a kind of respiratory pacemaker that just somebody forgot to turn off when everything else had stopped. But you never know. At least I've been told by medical people, the hearing is often the last thing to go. You never know. Had he already left and gone to be with the Lord? Or was he still there? Could he possibly hear? Gave no indication. I like to think that even if he weren't there, God would have granted him to listen from heaven to what I had to say to him. I wanted to be with him when he died, and so I prayed, Lord, take him right now as I hold his hand. Let me hand him over to you, like a a faithful private carrying back one of the sergeants to to the commander who had been slain. But he kept on breathing. I love to be with the saints when they die. And I have ulterior motives, I'll admit, right from the outset. On the one hand, I want to keep vigil with the saints because Satan does not lay down his arms. He torments the saints to make them fear, to divert their attention from the cross and to make it a terrifying experience. And somebody needs to stand in for helpless saints with the sword of the Spirit, and keep Satan at bay. And I love to do that. But there's another reason I want to be there. I think that if I'm there often enough, 
when that door opens, I might get to see in one of these times. I do believe that when the soul of a believer departs this life, Jesus draws very near to take him home. And it just may be that something wonderful would happen in that moment to give me a glimpse just on the other side of the glory of Jesus Christ to my love. So you sit there waiting for each breath to be the last and your mind begins to turn to the sermon you have to preach on Sunday. And you remember that the last verse is, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And I say to myself, or to the Lord, Lord, I wish I wish I could bring every person in this congregation with me to this room here on the fourth floor of Augustana. I wish I could do something to make them feel the immense value of eternal life. I mean, feel it, Lord. Not just say it, not just know it, but feel that there's nothing more valuable in the world than to have the assurance of eternal life. I wish I could bring every one of you into a room like that. Many of you probably have been in a room like that. And put your hand on John's hand and my hand and let you listen as I recite the good news to John. Look right in those glazed eyes and say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, John who has begotten you anew unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance undefiled and imperishable and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded for a revelation ready to be revealed in the last time. John, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to endure various trials in order that the preciousness of your faith, the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, might redound unto praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you do not now see Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with unutterable and exalted joy as you receive the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. John, none of us lives to Himself and none of us dies to Himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose again, that He might be Lord both of the living and the dead. And then gather you with me. As I put my mouth right next to His ear in that room and sing, When we've been there. Sing it with me. Ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first be. John died at 8 o'clock yesterday morning. And there's nothing more important than eternal life. 
summertime is a very deceptive time. We begin to think about our bodies more, for example, because we show more of our bodies. We think about whether we have a good tan or not. We think about whether we look pudgy. And we actually begin to think these things matter. It's a very deceptive time of year. Well, when you look in the mirror today and ask, how's my tan doing? Or is my skin sleek? You just remember John Moline. Because yesterday at 8 o'clock, it didn't matter that he had no tan. And it didn't matter that his skin hung on his bones like wet newspaper. One thing mattered. John Moline had eternal life. Because he had the Son. And he who has the Son has life. Today's text is a real hard text for me. I struggled with this text for two days before I put anything on paper. And all I've decided to do this morning is talk about what I understand and just leave out what I don't understand. We'll get back to it someday. I have some glimmerings what verses 6 through 10 mean, but not much. But verses 11 and 12 and 13, I think I know what these verses are up to. And these are important. And so I want to focus your attention on the testimony of God. You think of yourselves as being one who testifies for God, don't you? Your obligation is to bear witness for God. Well, let me tell you, God's got a testimony. God has put Himself in the witness stand and delivered a testimony to the human race through the apostles and through His Son, Jesus Christ. And verse 11 and 12 give you the content of his testimony. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. And he who has not the Son has not life. So the way to have life according to these verses is to have the Son. See that in verse 12? He who has the Son has life. And the reason we know that life is eternal life is because verse 11 says, God gave us eternal life and this life is in His Son. So whoever has the Son has the life that's in the Son, namely eternal life. What does that mean to have the Son? If you were to say right now, I have the Son of God. What would you mean by the word have? Well, the word have has a lot of different nuances of meanings, doesn't it? It wouldn't mean the same thing when you say, I have a dollar, I have a cold, and I have a lawyer. Those don't all mean the same thing. But as I've thought about it, they do all have something in common. There is a bottom line to the word have. And basically, I think it's this. If you have something, that something does its thing for you. If you have a dollar, 
it buys a dollar's worth for you. If you have a cold, your nose runs. And if you have a lawyer, he takes up for you. He stands in for you. And so, when I read, He who has the Son, I hear, the Son will do His thing for Him. John sums up His thing with the word life. If Jesus does His thing for you, you have life that will never end. And you know, don't you, that eternal life is not just the extension of the frustrated life that we know here and the half joys we know here. When Jesus does his thing completely, all the frustrations will eventually be taken away. All the half joys will become whole joys and it will never end. That's eternal life. It begins now. It consummates in the age to come. If you have the Son... You have life. Or to put it another way, if you have the Son, you have everything that a Son of God of infinite strength, infinite wisdom, and infinite love can possibly do for you. Paul said, who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or nakedness or peril... No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. He who has the Son is more than a conqueror over all the obstacles of life. What do you think that means? More than a conqueror. How can you be more than a conqueror? I think it means you could conquer an enemy and come out as a wounded soldier, but there's something more that could happen. The enemy could serve you. When you have the Son, God Almighty, through His Son, takes all your enemies, peril, distress, famine, tribulation, nakedness, and doesn't just let you escape from them, He puts them in bondage to you and makes them serve you for your good. I think that's what it means to be a super conqueror, more than just one who defeats, one who is served by all the obstacles of life. So that Romans 8.28 can say, all things, including distress, tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword, work together, serve you for your good. So if you want to be more than a survivor in life, you can have the Son and become a super conqueror over those things. But, but we still haven't answered the question. How do you go about having the Son? Like having a dollar or having a cold or having a lawyer. What do you do to have the Son so that you can confidently say, I have the Son of God. He does His infinite thing for me, and therefore I have eternal life. The answer is not hard to find here in this text. All you have to do is take verse 13 and verse 12, put them beside each other, read them together, and draw the implication which stands on the face of it.
Verse 13 says, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now notice, verse 13 says that the way to have eternal life is to believe in the name of the Son of God. Verse 12 says that the way to have eternal life is to have the Son. And so isn't it obvious that the way to have the Son is to trust the Son, believe in the name of the Son? So the very simple answer this morning to the question of how to have the Son is, you can have the Son if you trust the Son. Or to reverse it, if you trust the Son, you have the Son. In the film Passage to India, there was a doctor, an Indian doctor, that is, doctor who lives in India, he was arrested by the British colonial powers, thrown in jail under the alleged uh, claim that he had assaulted a British woman. The case becomes an extraordinarily tense point of conflict between the people of India who want to be free from the British rule and the British colonial powers who were ruling very insensitively over the Indian people. And the whole colonialist power structure seemed to make the doctor's case utterly hopeless. In jail, no advocate, no money, and they were going to get his flesh. However, the most famous and able lawyer in India gets word of this. He has a reputation for liking to take on the British and for standing up for the Indian underdogs. And for me, one of the most powerful scenes in that movie was where two friends of the doctor come to him in jail. He is utterly dejected and frightened. He has no way out and he is surrounded by wolves. And their faces are bright. They have good news. And they come to him and say that this lawyer is willing to come and try your case and stand in for you. And his face doesn't lift. And then they say, and he won't take a fee. And it transforms the man. Now the doctor has a lawyer. I say, he has a lawyer. The lawyer's thing will now be done for this doctor. All his eloquence, all his skill, all his reputation will be funneled in one channel. Liberate this doctor. How did the doctor come to have a lawyer? He was broke. He was miles away from this lawyer. They didn't even know each other. 
And all of a sudden, he can declare to all of his British enemies, I have a lawyer. How'd that happen? Well, it started with the motive of the lawyer. This lawyer is interested in two things. The liberation of India from the British and the magnification of his skill on behalf of underdogs. Now, I don't know if you remember, I don't know how many of you saw this picture, but another scene that I loved was in the courtroom where there was utter pandemonium. It was chaos. And this lawyer was sitting there, laid back in his chair, with his hand like this, utterly composed. As though to communicate sovereign control over this situation. What that lawyer wanted to communicate in the little role he played in that movie was, I magnify my skill by not accepting pay for my services. Because that might compromise my allegiances. I'm for the liberation of India. And I'm for the exaltation of my own skill on behalf of underdog patriots. I don't give a rip about your money. And so it is with the Son of God. How does it come about that you can say, I have the Son of God? Well, it starts with the motive of your divine lawyer and advocate. He has two things that he's after in this world. One, the liberation of his people from sin and death. And the other is the glorification of his power and his skill on behalf of underdog people. That's the origin of salvation. That's the source of eternal life. He loves to show that he loves the liberation of his people and the magnification of his skill. And therefore, his services are not for sale. You can't buy Jesus. So how do you come to have the Son of God? He makes you a free offer. And you accept the offer and trust Him. The doctor trusted the lawyer. And the lawyer was willing to stand in for the doctor. Of course, there are at least three ways you can reject the offer of the lawyer. He could have done it in the movie. We could do it to Jesus this morning. Number one, you could say... I can handle this case by myself. I don't need a lawyer. You could say, I am a nobody. He's a world-class attorney. He will not come. There's no point in responding to the telegram. There's no point in putting trust in him. He ain't going to come. Why would he bother with me? Or you could say, sure. Sure. I'll trust him. Let him come. 
But he better not tell me to do anything stupid in that courtroom because I'm not going to do it. There are people here this morning who need to have the Son of God. And you can have, have the Son of God if you won't use any of those three escape devices. So let me just show you why you shouldn't use those three. Don't say, I can handle this case by myself. I can handle my life by myself. I was talking to a man the other day who was dealing with a man who had cancer and trying to witness to him in the hospital. And the man said, I can handle this by myself. John Moline, 8 o'clock yesterday morning, couldn't handle it. And when you get there, you won't either. If you don't have an advocate, if you don't have the Son, it's over. You'll stay in that jail or go to the gallows, period. You can't handle life on your own, no matter how strong you feel right now. You see, that poor guy was innocent and he was about done for. We're guilty. We are done for. Our advocate better be a lot better off than the one in the movie because he's got to pull off a miracle because we are guilty and the judge is just. You can't handle the case by yourself. Let's just put that excuse on the table. Second, don't say to yourself, I'm a nobody. He'll never come. Why would he bother with me? I mean, I've committed so many sins. I've failed so many times. He is a world-class God. There is no reason why he should bother with somebody like me. Now, the reason you shouldn't say that is not because you're not a nobody, but because you don't understand grace. Jesus Christ speaks like this. He says to you, I don't come to you because you're somebody. I come to you because I'm somebody. And I like to glorify my somebodiness by helping nobodies. Like you. So quit thinking you've got to measure up. The only people I help are nobodies. If you think you're somebody, you don't qualify. The good news, people, is the lower you have gone, the better candidate Jesus thinks you are. Because He can congratulate Himself or magnify Himself in the world by pulling off the most amazing trial upset imaginable. If you're not very guilty, any lawyer can handle that. So let's put that one aside. Sure, you're a nobody. That's the point. And He's ready. And don't say... Oh, sure, I'll trust him. I'll I'll take the offer. Let him come. He just better not tell me to do anything stupid in the courtroom because I ain't going to do it. Brothers and sisters, that is not trust. You can't keep a lawyer that way. Maybe one time you could say it to a lawyer. But you say it to his face two times, I don't take your advice. I got a better idea. He'll say, you get another lawyer. Brothers and sisters, don't evade the summons to trust by just going halfway and saying, sure, I'll take the bail, but not the advice. You're not trusting him if you say that. 
So I close this morning by simply holding out to you the free offer that comes from this world-class Son of God who can stand in for you and will stand in for anybody who trusts Him. He who has the Son has life. And you can have the Son if you trust the Son. And now may the Lord dismiss us with His peace. But give us no rest until we find our peace in the Son of God. And all the people said, Amen.